All right, let's go ahead and bow our heads as we get ready to look at Ecclesiastes. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you, Lord, that we can serve a God joyfully, not from pure fear and, and unknown, Lord, but that you love us and we know that we can love you and we can express that love back to you. Lord, we ask you to be with you as we open the word and look at your word and see what you'd have us to see from that. Their spirit guide and lead in Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting at verse 11. And remember, we're still looking at Solomon being fairly depressed. He's, made, he's turning the corner a little bit. At, by the end of the book, he's going to say, Let us hear the conclusion of the, matter, the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. That is uh, Ecclesiastes 12.13. And that's what he comes to the very conclusion of. And right now he's starting to give us some Proverbs in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be in verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and there is, and by it there is profit to them that would see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight that which he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God also have set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing for after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongs his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make yourself overwise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be you foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good for you, good that you should take hold of this. Yea, also that this, from this withdraw not your hand, for he that fears God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten mighty men that are in a city. And there is not a just man upon the earth that does good and sins, that does good and sins not. Also take no heed to the words that are spoken, lest you hear your servant curse you. For oftentimes you yourself in your heart know that you yourself likewise have cursed others. So quite a bit there we're going to kind of overview here. He starts out that wisdom is good with, with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to them that have it. He starts out, and this what, really what this should say is wisdom is better than an inheritance and, what, and, there, and, and, and the profit that brings. Because wisdom is where we need to put our heart. We look for what God says, and we've defined wisdom in the past as applied knowledge. You know, there are many people that get to know lots of things about God. You know, they, they can even memorize the Bible. They know the doctrines, and many of them are going to hell because they never believed in Christ. They know everything. They know the answers. And I've talked to some of them. They could give you the gospel message frontward, backwards, upside down. Uh, they can tell it to you. and They can quote scripture to you. But the truth of it is they don't know the Savior. And this is what he's saying here. You, wisdom has great profit. And it's better than an inheritance. And in verse 12 he goes, For wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. He says both of them can get you defense. Now, the way money gets us as defense is it buys, it buys us what we need. It buys us all the experts we need to get out, isn't it? Because the difference between the two is wisdom brings life. 
Now, this is the great thing. I love giving out the gospel of Christ and watching people pray to get saved. And, and you look at them and you just see the weight lifting off of them. You just see the joy that comes into their heart when they get saved. And I've seen this over and over in my lifetime, talking to somebody and you just watch and just, you know, it melts away the, the lightness. And hopefully you remember, if you are saved, you remember the day that you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and the sin being lift, lifted off and the joy that comes in. I no longer have to worry about my punishment because Jesus took that punishment. The song we sing, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. You know, when I first heard that, go, that verse, I'm going, well, I know it cost a lot. God cost all this. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, as much as I know about it, I don't know what it cost. You know, and I have a high cost. I mean, I've attached a high cost to it. And yet it probably cost many times more than whatever I can com comprehend. It's the same thing I said to him so many times. How strong is God? Well, however strong you think God is, you're too, you've got a picture of him being too weak. How all-present is he? Whatever you picture is, is too, too small. You know, and believe me, I've said this. You know, I picture him not just everywhere present, but every time present and every universe that's possibly out there present. He is everywhere. He encompasses everything. And even as big as I see him as, I'm probably still too small. And I have a really big picture of God. And I can still think that I'm too small. And this is what he says. Wisdom gives life. When we learn to apply God's word to everything we do. You know, how many of us in our life, and I don't want anybody to raise your hands on this one. <laughs> how many of us have made a decision against God's word because we thought it was the best decision to make at the time because it really looked good? God, I'm just going to do this because I think it's going to be the best thing for me. And I know your word says something different, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And then we turn out and we regret that decision. Every time we're going to regret that decision. God's word always is true. And we need to really come to the point where we say, God, your word is true. And I'm lying if I don't believe it. All right. This is why we've got to get in and say, God, I'm going to follow you. And you know what? The blessings for following him are great. They really are. I wish I followed him more than I do. I try to follow him a lot, but I, I make mistakes just like everybody else. And I'm going, and I don't apply his word at times. And I'm going, why did I do something so stupid? Because the consequences are still going to fall. It may have looked like it was the best decision. You know, well, you know, Mom and Dad, I didn't do that. I'm lying through my teeth, but I didn't do it. And then not only do you get in trouble for doing it, you get in trouble for the lying. <laughs> God's the same way. He's going to get us in trouble for what we did and the fact that we didn't admit that we did it wrong. And this is why he says, confess your sins. If you forgive your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. When we go to God and we confess, and what is confession? Say the same thing as. You know, I've heard people confess, well, you know, God, you know, I did this because, you know, I just had a weak moment. That's not confession. That is trying to make an excuse for what you did. Well, God, if you just knew everything I was going through, you'd understand why I made that decision. No, nope, that's still not confession. What does God call sin? He calls it sin. 
And until we go to God and say, God, I sinned, forgive me, we have not confessed and he's not, he's not there to forgive. We need to come up and say, God, I have done wrong. Call it what it is. In our world today, we have an entire world that's trying to excuse sin. And we have sins excused all over the place. You know, this person's not a thief, they're a kleptomaniac. They have a disease, they cannot help themselves. You know, okay, that's great. That person was violent, but they have PSD. Okay, great, I'm glad to have trouble with it, but don't excusing all of our sin by saying it's a disease. That is how Satan is trying to defeat God in our present day. Let's just call all sin sickness. Because after all, you can't be in trouble if you're sick. You can't be punished if you're sick. And God says, no, he calls it sin. We need to call our problems sin because they are sin. And this is what Solomon is saying here. He says, there is wisdom. Apply God's word to our life. How do we make our walk better and better each time? We get into God's word and we start applying what we learn. We start saying, God, you're true. Every man's a liar, including me. You're true. And live the way he says. Because we'll make all kinds of excuses. God, if you just knew, you know, the way I was raised. My family just was a terrible family. They raised me in such a way that if you, if you just really understood God, I didn't learn good from right from wrong because of my family. I understand that. That makes life difficult for you. But you get into God's word and you start living the way God says to live in spite of the way you're, the way you're framed. Well, God, if you just knew my fam, my my family and my friends and how what a bad influence they are on me, you know, they're they're always getting me to do the wrong things. God, God would say, well, I told you not to hang out with the people that are bad influences. If you have somebody in your life who's always leading you down the wrong path, get away from them. Get away from them. I don't even care if they're family. Now you're gonna have trouble if it's your spouse because you can't get away from your spouse. God says, I hate divorce. If it's your spouse who's leading you along, you're in trouble. You better pray for them to get saved and get, get right. But, you know, if it's somebody else, get away from them. Get godly companions and be able to hang out with godly people that will guide you the right direction. He says in verse 13, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight that which he has made crooked? Do you realize that sometimes God gets, gets, puts things in your way to get you to come back to him? You know, he makes your way crooked so that you will fall down, have to look to him, repent, confess your sins, and come back to him. And if God is against you, who can be for you? But when God is for you, nothing is against you. As Paul said, neither height, nor depth, nor width, nor, nor forgot the, fourth, the extra dimension. <laughs> Nothing is against us. Principalities and powers are not against us. Satan cannot stand against us when God is for us. And if you're one of his children, he's standing for you. This is why it's a serious condition to say, well, God, I just couldn't help myself when I did that sin. God says, for there hath no temptation overtaken you, but such is common to man, but God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. He provides the way of escape. It is through him. God, you know, I, I just have this really bad problem. I can't do it. And God says, you're right, you can't. But I've crucified your flesh and you're living me and my spirit can give you the power. What do we do? How do we live? We get the overcoming by turning our life over to him. 
we turn our life, we surrender our life to him, no matter what our excuses are, no matter who the people are drawing us into sin, we surrender to God and say, God, I want you to change me. It is an amazing thing when God steps into somebody's life. People who are alcoholics can be turned around instantly. Drug-addicted people can be turned around instantly when they turn over to God. People who are thieves can be turn, turned around instantly. If you're a liar, he can turn you around instantly when you turn your life over to him. If you're a lazy person, he can turn your life around instantly when you turn your life over to him. God makes us a new creation. I'm trying to give enough sins that I catch almost everybody in the room. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we think sometimes, you know, God, I just can't help it. God, I'm a sinner. You know that. And God says, yes, I know you're a sinner. That's why I said I want you crucified. Your sin nature is to be crucified so that he can come in and live through us in power and victory. Will we do it all the time? I wish we would. I wish we could. You know, in, you know, 48 years of walking with God, I still have all kinds of times when I don't totally surrender to him. I surrender more now than I used to. Hopefully, if I live to be 100 or 200 years old, I'll surrender even more. But I will never surrender completely because my sin nature will keep popping up. But he says, don't try to do this. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. That's pretty easy to be, be happy when everything's going right, isn't it? Everything seems to be going good and you get excited. Okay, God, this is a wonderful day. I'm all happy for this day. He goes on to say, in the days of adversity, consider God has also set the one over against the other. Do you realize that when we have a really bad day and things all seem to be going bad, day, week, year, decade, I don't know, however long it is that you've been having fighting with God over your bad day, God has put it in your path. And Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. Nobody took it out of the Bible yet. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. You know, I love that verse. I was reading the book about Billy Sunday, and as he was having hard times, his wife kept reminding him God did not take Romans 8.28 out of the verse, out of the Bible. He'd complain about something, and, he said, and she would say, God has not taken Romans 8.28 out of the Bible. And as he got good with following God, he became a joke with them. <laughs> you know, God has not taken Romans 8.28 out of the Bible. This is really what Solomon is saying. God is in charge. He put what we think of as bad in our life. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he puts bad things in our life all the time. Some of it is to strengthen us. Some of it is to give us empathy with other people who are suffering and going through hard times. Sometimes it's just to see if we're going to be faithful. You know, Job was put under temptation just to prove that he would be faithful to God. That was it. Satan stood before him and said, God, if you didn't protect him, you know, if you didn't protect Job, Job would curse you. So God says, okay, take everything he owns. He didn't curse him. You know, God, if you took his health, you know, if you took his health, he'd curse you. All right, you can, you can take his health. And he didn't curse him. The only time Job had a real problem was when his four friends came along and told him how bad he was for, for many weeks. Kept telling him how bad he was and how he deserved everything he had and he needed to, to confess his sin. Then he got to the end and he started getting, getting a little out of, bent out of shape. You know, of course, he lost everything. He, he had no health and his friends were badgering him about how he must have been really bad because only bad things happen to bad people, right? And we know that that's not true. 
but that was their doctrine. If you do good, good happens. If you do bad, bad happens. And yes, that is generally true. But just as we're being told by Ecclesiastes, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. His very next verse says, there's a righteous man. He was good. He did everything he was supposed to and he died young. And then he had some evil guy, really evil, and his life continue, seems to continue and continue and continue. David says, why do the heathens rage and the, and, the, and the wicked prosper? We all have that question sometimes. God, why is that person getting away with everything? It looks like they're getting away with all this bad that they're doing. And you know, it's very important for us to understand and know that it just appears that they are. There is a day of reckoning coming for all people. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. God is not measuring the books. He has not recorded the final statements in the books until we die. Somebody has all the way up until the second they die to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if they accept him at the moment they die, they'll go to heaven. And people go, well, that's not really fair. They, didn't, they, didn't, they waited till the last moment. Well, they could have missed that last moment, too, if they weren't careful. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until the last possible second, because you may not have that second to make a decision. And because if you might have a heart attack. You might have somebody shoot you. Anything can happen, and all of a sudden, you're dead before you know it. Don't wait. And that's the purpose of this whole statement. If you die in your sins without Jesus Christ, you will stand before God and be judged for the good things that you have done, which Isaiah tells us all your righteousness is filthy rags. At the white throne judgment, people are going to stand before God clothed in filthy rags of their own righteousness and be condemned. Not because of their sin, because they're not perfect. They're not wearing the righteousness of Christ to be admitted into heaven. If you're a Christian, we get, to, we get very fortunate. We get to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to say, okay, let's take all your work stored in the fire and see what comes out of it. Did you do it for yourself, or did you do it for me? And he's going to reward us for all the things that were done for him, truly for him. Sometimes we do good things trying to look good. Sometimes we do good things because we think that's what we need to be doing to please God. Sometimes we're doing it in our own strength because, hey, God, I'm strong enough. I can do this. And God says, nope, those burn up. Those are gone. You did them for the wrong reason. And I can tell each one of you, you're, if you're walking with God, you're going to have rewards that you don't even know about. Those times when you were just faithful, you said a little prayer, you read the Bible, you were kind to somebody. You know, it is wonderful. I love hearing testimonies of how people get saved, and they say, this person just said this to me, and I kind of blew it off, but it, it, it stuck in my brain. It stuck in my mind, and I didn't really believe it, but it stuck in my mind. And then somebody else said the same thing, and then somebody else said the same thing, and then I sat down and really heard God's truth. You know, listen to testimonies. Tell your testimony. What has God done for you? If you're a Christian, God has done something in your life. You should be a brand new creation. There should be a point in time where you say, I knew I was a sinner. I bowed on my, my knees or I just bowed my head or whatever. And I said, Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I believe you died on the cross for me. Come into my life and, and make me yours. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Know that that event has happened. 
And the problem is, a lot of times when people grow up in a church, they never make that actual commitment. They know all about God. They know lots about God. And you go, when did you make your decision to follow him? And they go, I don't know. Make a decision. If you don't know, if you can't say, I know when I made that decision, make it today. <laughs> know that you know that you had made that decision to call him your Lord. Because he'll change us. He'll give us the power to walk with him. He'll give us the desire for his word. He'll give us the desire to share that gospel message with others. Because he comes in and he makes us a new creation. You know, one of the things we've been listening to is when Samuel comes up with me, we're listening to Unshackled, and I'm listening to all these people's testimonies over and over and over again, the same story about how sin had them caught up in, in, in death and misery. And they, each one of them would talk about how different people came into their lives and shared the gospel message with them or shared that they needed Jesus. You know, and many of them would answer the same thing to so many people. Well, I don't need religion. And I'm saying, thank God you don't need religion. I don't want any religion in my life. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of the universe in my life, teaching me to walk in righteousness. It is not religion. Religion is a whole bunch of rules. I don't do well with rules. Surprise, surprise. I don't do well any, as well with rules as anybody else does. Nobody does well with rules. Adam and Eve had one rule, and they didn't do well with their one rule. Don't eat of that one, one, one tree. How would you like to, you know, do you ever think that maybe if I just had one rule, I'd be able to obey it? You wouldn't be able to obey it. They weren't able to obey it, and they didn't have a sin nature to desire that, and they still couldn't obey it. Religion is a bunch of rules. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and maybe God will be happy with you. That is the problem with religion. You never know whether you've done enough good for God to be happy. The answer is you haven't. If you're working on religion, you never do enough good to please God because his standard is perfection. That is why Jesus had to come down to this world and die for our sins so that we could have a forgiveness that would be forever that we could have our sins covered and be clothed in the righteousness of God and be able to follow him and live for him. Verse 16 says, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make yourself overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither for for." neither be you foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you shall take hold of this. Yea, that you withdraw not your hand from it, for he that fears God shall come forth of them all. Here he's saying, be not overly righteous, self-righteousness. You know, we were just talking a little bit about that, self-righteousness. God, look how good I am. Hey, everybody, look how good I am. I, I follow God. I don't, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't, don't do drugs. I don't do a drink. I don't, you know, I'm a, look how good I am. This was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Yeah, just look at us. You know, we, if you want to know how to live for God, just look at us. They had huge pride issues. Huge pride issues. And who did Jesus have the biggest problem with? Those Pharisees. Those Pharisees didn't know that they needed God because their self-righteousness wasn't going to be good enough. 
and they would beat themselves and they would punish themselves every time they would sin they would give long prayers and long long beatings the monastic monks oftentimes would flagellate themselves with a whip trying to beat the sin out of them instead of living for God and they're going well if I just do enough pain infliction to myself I'll God will know that I'm sorry for my sins well, that's fine, but that's not enough. God still has a standard of perfection. He says also, don't be overly wicked or foolish. And foolish ones say there is no God. And don't be overly wicked because that has consequences. How many of us have something in our life that we knew we did that was wrong probably when we were younger and we still suffer because of it? Physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, there's things in our lives that we did wrong that we still suffer today for. Even though we're a Christian, we still suffer today. I know people that have gone out and they've gotten drunk and they've managed to wrap their car around a tree and they've had broken bones and pains and aches for the rest of their life. For one moment of stupidity. Overly wicked things have a consequence. Even though God forgives us, there's a consequence. When we sin, there's always a consequence, and sometimes that consequence is long-term. Now, God can give us peace of mind. He can give us peace in our heart. But if we hurt our body, there's no guarantee he's going to heal our body. Now, he might, but he doesn't usually. I've seen smokers who've gotten emphysema who have been healed. I've seen different people that have had really bad diseases that got healed out of God's mercy. God can be merciful if he, if he desires, but don't count on it. Don't count on him being merciful if you go out and sin and have a consequence because of it. And this is what he's saying. Don't do either one. He goes, and this isn't telling us, you know, when he says don't be overly wicked. He is not going on and saying that a little bit of sin is okay. <laughs> okay. This is not what he's saying. Uh, as, as Paul would say, God forbid that you would go out and sin at all just so grace would, have, grace would abound. We, he, God's desire is for us to not sin. Now, God knows we're going to sin. He knows that we have a sin nature. He knows that we're not going to be perfect. And his grace covers that. But our goal is not to go out and sin on purpose. Well, And I've heard people, well, God is going to forgive me, so I'm just going to go out and do this because I really want to do it. Well, I'd have fun, I guess. Uh, the, the one or two times that I've actually done that, there was no pleasure in the sin because I knew I was doing wrong. <laughs> there was a consequence that followed as well for it that, that needed to be paid. And as a Christian, there is no joy in going out and sinning on purpose. You might, if you fall into sin, enjoy it for a few minutes until the Holy Spirit convicts you. But if you go out and do it on purpose, and I'm hoping that nobody has done that, but I'm sure many of you have, if you go out and sin on purpose, the Holy Spirit is convicting you the whole time and saying, you're, you know you're doing wrong. You know you're doing wrong right from the beginning. The Holy Spirit's going to come in anyway. If you're his child, he's going to come in and tell you, you've done wrong, confess your sin and repent. But we need to be able to understand there is no good in the sin. All sin shortens our life causes problems physically, causes problems emotionally, and causes no, uh, problems with our soul. All sin causes death in all parts of our life. Death. Adam and Eve sinned, and immediately their spirit died. 
Now, they didn't die physically right that moment, but they started dying from the moment they were, from that moment on. Just as for each one of us, when we are born, we are born sinners, and we start dying from the day that we are born. We got some growing to do first when we're born, but we start dying from that day. Our time clock to death starts running the moment we're born. Actually, from the moment we're conceived, the time clock for death starts running. Only God knows what that final final zero is, but the clock is running. And we need to make decisions to follow him in this lifetime. Because if somebody dies before they've accepted Jesus Christ, it's over. When you're standing before God, everybody's going to say, oh, I believe in Jesus now. Too late. You know, I want to accept Jesus' sacrifice now. Too late. You have a very limited period of time in your life to make a decision for God. And that period is, going, is running, and you don't know when it's going to hit zero. There's not a great big clock you can see in front of you like there is in sports saying, time is running out. There it is. I've got three seconds to get this shot off, otherwise I don't get to score. We don't know when that clock is going to hit zero. We need to be making that decision to follow him and seek him. It says, Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten mighty men which are in a city. For there is not a just man on this earth that does good and sins not. Wisdom strengthens us. The more we get to know God's word, the easier it is to live a righteous life. Why? Because God leads our way. He guides us. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. The more I get into his word, the more I get to know his word, the more my path is directed. God, what should I do in this situation? Oh, the Bible says such and such. I have a chance at that point to say, do I believe what he says or not? Too many of our decisions are made without trusting in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in his word. Trust in what he says is true. God says to be truthful. Yeah. How many times do we color our, color our words to not be truthful? Well, you know, notice I didn't say lie because most of us don't say we're lying when we lie. <laughs> well, God, I was just trying to not hurt their feelings. I was just trying to stay out of trouble, so I gave them just enough to not be into trouble. You know, I'm amazed by our legal system. We take an oath in the courts to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And they've taken that last part out in recent days. But I'm supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is God's biblical description of truth. I tell everything I know. The one time I talked to a lawyer, he told me to answer just exactly what I was asked and nothing more. All right? That is not biblical truth. That is not even what you swear to tell when you sit in that seat. But they like to play games with the truth. We all like to play games with the truth so often. Well, you know, I know a little bit more, but I'm just going to tell you this little piece. You know, I don't really want you to understand why they think they did what they did, or I'm not going to tell you who else was involved, because I had a part of this, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to leave where, where I come in, and it was all them. You're going to think it was all them. 
doing conflict revolution, resolution, I would hear all kinds of stories where I'm sure everybody was telling me the truth from their perspective. But every time they spoke, it, they looked good and the per person they were having trouble with looked terrible. And then you talk to the other side and they looked really good and that other person looked awful. And you would slowly get the pieces put together and start going, okay, I'm beginning to see the truth between the two sides. How many times do we try to do that even with God? God knows. He saw. You know, when we try to tell God, you know, God, if you just knew the circumstances, God already knows the circumstances. He knows them better than we do anyway. You know, God, if you just understood, God understands. He understands that we are terrible, wicked sinners. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all who can know it, it told in Jeremiah. Now, we don't like to think about that. You know, if we've been walking with God long enough, we'd like to think, you know, God, I'm a really good person. You are just so lucky to have me, God. If you didn't have me around, you know, you know, everything would go wrong. And, you know, I'm just such a good influence on everybody. And God says, I know your heart. I know what you wanted to say. Now, you may have been well disciplined and didn't say what you wanted to say. But God says, I know what you wanted to say. I know what you wanted to do. Your heart is wicked. My heart is wicked. Our hearts are wicked. We may control our outward actions very well, but God says, I know. I know what you thought. And sometimes I'm very glad that God does not let other people know what I think. You know, when, when all you want to do is reach out and strangle the person and, you know, and, you're, and you start being nice to them and you give them grace. Everything in your heart saying, I just want to tear you, you, know, tear you from limb to limb, and we all know we've been there. You know, and we're going, God, thank you. God, forgive me for my initial desires. But thank you that you helped me be strong enough not to fulfill what I thought. You know, then he ends this with some very interesting advice. Take no heed to all the words that are spoken, lest you hear your servant curse you. For oftentimes also you, your own heart knows that you yourself likewise have cursed others. How many times have you overheard something being said that you wished you had not heard? <laughs> you can't unhear it. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you hear. And Solomon's statement is, you know, how many times have you said something that you would rather not be heard from somebody? Be aware that people don't always mean what they say. And you may not mean what you thought you heard. Especially if you come in in the middle of a conversation and you hear the very end of something and you all of a sudden think, they were talking about me. You weren't even the subject of the talk. You, know, you just heard something that, that your guilty conscience is telling you that you have a problem with and you heard them talking about it and now it ha they were talking about me. They may have been talking about somebody totally different and even if they were talking about you, confess it to God and move on. Don't hold it against people because how many times would you like your words held against you? How many times have you said something light, lighthearted or even stupid that you regretted saying? Or, you know, you told a joke that fell flat and somebody takes it very personally. You know, I have to be very careful. I, I like sarcasm. Sarcasm can get you into a lot of trouble because people think you're being serious when, you're, when you were trying to be jo joking. I have learned to try not to be sarcastic. <laughs> Even though my mind goes that way quickly, 
I try very hard not to be sarcastic because I've offended so many people over the years with sarcasm. And it's so easy for that to be come out wrong. It is so easy for people to take your words wrong. And this is so important. We need to be careful what we say. We're told in the scriptures that we will give an account for every idle word we speak. Now, for some people, that's a very, very scary. I mean, it's just be scared to everybody, but it should be. It's really scary for a lot of people who just loosely gossip, who loosely say things about people, who loosely use double entrants. You know, that's the idea of saying something that means something else, usually sexually oriented. You know, who use sexually suggestive stories. They don't actually go cross the line, but everybody knows what they're talking about. You know, we, do, we, we say things about certain people. Well, you, you, know, you know how they are. You know, you, know, you, you know their reputation. You know, I never really gossiped. I never, I never really told you anything, but I led you down a path. I was gossiping. We've done that. We've all done that at some point. We need to be careful. How easy is it to find ourselves gossiping or saying bad things about people and, and, and saying bad things? It is very easy. We're just talking. Next thing we know, we're in a very bad area because we're not watching our tongues. James said the man who can control his tongue is perfect. We all get in trouble with our tongues. Always. I do. I do a lot. <laughs> you know, we get in trouble with our tongues. We say things we shouldn't say. We say things that that aren't kind or loving, we need to be very careful. Watch what we're saying and be willing to give people as much grace as we're hoping to have for our, our talking. And that's literally what he's saying. Don't pay attention to all these things because you have said things that you want grace for. If you want to live a life that has grace and love given to you and forgiveness given to you, you must give out love and grace and forgiveness to others. Because why? God loved us first. We love others because God loved us first. And he were to take what he does for us and give it to others. We're to give grace. We're to give love. You know, there should be nobody that we're not willing to tell the gospel to because they're just so bad a sinner they don't deserve it. No. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. None of us deserve the gospel message. We don't deserve Jesus coming down to this world and dying for us. We need to give that same love and grace to others. We've been praying about people getting saved. We need to be witnessing to these people. We need to share the gospel to people. Because how did we get saved? I guarantee you, everybody sitting in here who is saved today had at least somebody tell them the gospel message. All right? Or give them a gospel track. Or do something that led them to, to be able to know God. I have not met anybody in my walk that has just said, well, one day I just said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve, I deserve to go to hell and come into my life and save me because you died for my sin. Somebody told them. <laughs> might have been mom or dad. Might have been grandma. Might have been a friend. Might have been going to church and hearing a Sunday school. But somebody told them a gospel message. For each one of us, somebody told us the gospel message. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And the disciples were told, go and tell the world. 
the disciples and about 500 other people turned the world upside down. The world, who was, which is as bad as it is today, maybe even a little worse, was turned upside down for Christianity by a very small handful of people. We can see revival today because we've got a lot more people. If we got, even if it was just the remnant of the Christians that are out there who got on fire and told people the gospel message and got them converted into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we would have a great revival that would turn this world around. Just as it happened in the first century, Rome was not a good place to live. Rome was not a kind place. Rome was not a godly place. They were wicked, terrible sinners that hurt each other and lied to each other and hurt children and hurt the elderly. Sound a little familiar to what we're doing in our day and age? Unkindness, hurting the elderly, hurting the kids, killing one another, being unkind to people. You know, we hear all the time people talk about we're in a post-Christian world. No, we're in a pre-Christian world. We're returning to a pre-Christian world. And if we as a church and Christians don't get out and actively start trying to change this world, we will go to a completely non-Christian world. Which on one side is good because then Jesus returns, we go to heaven. But I don't want to see that for my grandkids. I want to see my grandkids have a chance to have a godly walk. And let it happen sometime else down the road. I would love to see revival come and see this world turned upside down again. But it starts with each one of us sharing the gospel with our friends, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our aunts and uncles, and everybody else that we know. Do any of you remember when you became a Christian how excited you were to tell everybody about Jesus? I remember I told everybody about Jesus. I knew nothing about what I did, but I told everybody they needed Jesus. You know, I don't know what happened to that. You know. That withered away. I need to get it back as much as anybody else. I tell a lot of people about Jesus, but it has withered from those days when I told everybody. Now, I wasn't very nice about it. You know, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need Jesus. It's not the way to go and approach everybody. Okay, it is a true statement, but it's not done in love. You know, in one sense it is love. I mean, I care so much for you, I don't want to see you to go to hell, but we need to make sure it's a softer, you know, what have you done with Jesus? Do you know that you're a sinner? There's ways about it that aren't quite as harsh as when we're first saved. But my challenge for us, number one, are you saved? Is there a point in your life where you ask Jesus actively, I am a sinner, come into my life? If not, today is the day to, to ask him. If you have, make an agreement with God saying, God, give me the power and the strength to tell others. Tell my family Tell my friends, because I want them to go to heaven, not hell. This is the greatest message that we could ever have. How many of us would not be telling our friends or neighbors, you know, you have a favorite football team that's going to play in your neighborhood, or a basketball team, or a baseball team. Pick your sport. I don't care what your sport is. You know, your favorite player is coming to your neighborhood. Wouldn't you be telling all of your friends and family Hey, so-and-so is coming. You got to come and see them. And yet we don't get excited enough about God for an eternal decision to tell them, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Does that mean we have to tell them every single time we see them? No, probably not. 
They might, want, might get to the place where they don't want to see you again if you're always telling them about Jesus. But do you have a family member or a friend that you have never told about Jesus? If you haven't, they may be going to hell. And I could picture them at the white throne judgment looking over at you and saying, why didn't you tell me that this was coming? You knew this was coming and you didn't say this was coming? And you would deserve that accusation. The one thing I know is I've talked to all my family members. Not all of them have gotten saved, but I, I have at least mentioned God to all my family members. I probably need to go back and talk to some of them again and have over the years. But at least once. You know, well, maybe my friend's not going to like me if I tell them about Jesus. Well, that's fine. They're really not going to like you and they're on their way to hell because you didn't care for them enough to tell them about Christ. How important is he to you? How important is he to your life? Lord, we just thank you this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening right here or on the internet that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them today to come before you and to pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve the punishment of hell that you've been, but I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and ask you to come into my life and cover me and bless me. For those of us who are Christians, pray to God and say, God, give me the boldness to go out and share you with others. And just make this prayer yours. Lord, strengthen me, encourage me, give me the boldness to share you with my family and friends so that you will be lifted up and they will at least have heard your name. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.